This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72-hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? Don't worry. Call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left, and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. 888-411-7440. It's time to party. This is a no-holds-barred celebration of being alive. America WK, with your friend and mine, Andrew WK, on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, welcome. It's America WK. I am Andrew WK. And it is a privilege and a pleasure to be back and alive for another day and another episode with you. Now... I'm not sure how you feel about the weather, but this is something I have thought about for years and years and years, starting as a a rather young child because, well, one, I noticed it was probably, as you have noticed, one of the top, if not the very top, go-to conversation topic. Not that we need to spend a lot of time on this on our radio show today. But whenever I would see strangers conversing out in public, in line at the grocery store, for example, in elevators, or even people that were friends or family members, but maybe not that comfortable for whatever reason, the weather, the one thing that at that moment and in that location, we all can relate to, we're all part of, we're all interacting with, that is a go-to topic. But what are we getting at there? What is it? We're trying to connect on something. I'd say probably the second most common topic is sports. Usually local sports, but often national sports, because it's something that I suppose the person who's bringing it up is imagining that you and everyone else has something to say about. Sports, though, is a bit more divisive because the odds are not everyone is going to be rooting for the same team. Beyond that, the odds are that not everybody else will necessarily care that much about the particular game or even about sports in general. Now, I love sports very much as an overall phenomenon. I especially like the atmosphere. I enjoy the dedication that athletes devote to their craft, this physical skill that they develop and hone that arguably they were gifted with to begin with and then choose through discipline to refine into really a type of artistry And I like how inconsequential sports are in the world at large in terms of not really mattering that much beyond what they contribute in in excitement, in passion, in competition. Because it's a wonderful place, and I don't know if we've talked about this before, 
but it's a wonderful place to go through many of the trials and tribulations of life without having so much at stake. We can feel as though a game is life or death, but clearly it isn't. And what a wonderful and beautiful arena, literally, to be able to play out the drama of existence without necessarily having to deal with the consequences in the same way. It's a beautiful removal from life, much like watching a movie where we can experience all types of uh, emotion and feeling and fear and elation and contemplate those sensations without actually having to, for example, jump off a cliff as they may do in an action movie or be in the midst of uh, an incredible cataclysmic event like an asteroid hitting the planet. So we can be thankful for these venues that allow us to experience these feelings with, again, without having to have much more at stake. That's not to say that for some people, sports, uh, even as a fan, uh, don't occupy a large part of their life. And I admire anyone that, that, that does care about it that much. As always, with anything that we're deeply passionate about, we want it to somehow enlarge our view rather than create a type of tunnel vision. And if we start to feel like our dedication to a particular pastime or interest, no matter what it is, no matter how, uh, I guess, noble we feel that it may be, or however uh, silly someone else may feel our interest is, we don't want it to create a type of tunnel vision. We don't want it to obscure the full picture of life or ourselves or the world around us. So let us keep that in mind. Now, going back to the weather, because this is something that even if you don't care about the weather, you end up having to deal with. And I'm not talking about weather in terms of, uh, let's say, a, a larger climate phenomenon. I am simply talking about cold or hot, rainy or clear skies, windy or still, just the type of atmosphere that you find around you on a day-to-day basis. Because what I noticed for a long time, uh, again, as a younger person, is that I didn't often share the same feelings as other people did about the weather. Now, uh, this is still the case, but I just don't care as much. But when I was younger, it, it concerned me that I didn't like sunny days. I've told you about how fall and winter, those are my preferred seasons, and there's really nothing better to me than a rainy, overcast, foggy fall morning, afternoon, or evening. In the night, it's dark out, so you can't really see what the weather is. I mean, you can feel rain, you can hear rain, you can tell the humidity's in the air, But I like that gray light. I love that kind of light where there aren't even shadows cast. It's sort of a a flat lighting, as they say. Now, that was a bit strange for me growing up because everyone else around me, or most folks, they seem to prefer sunny, warm, clear skies, blue skies even. The type of uh, classic, typical spring or summer day. 
I also experienced a kind of uh, dissonance in my preference for cold weather. Being someone, as I told you before, who's oftentimes overheated, I am now getting to that point right now on the show where the sweat is beginning to bead and my body is beginning to feel too warm. I always like to cold. And that, whether it's indoors, crank your air conditioning or in a car with the windows open, fresh air on an, on an airplane, I always have my vent on full blast. Rarely has, uh, has I ever, uh, really has it ever been too cold for me, actually. Because I can always add layers. There's only so many layers you can take off, especially in public. So uh, oftentimes, in making small talk in an elevator where a lot of these sorts of conversations seem to occur, people said, oh, it's too bad about the cold today, or it's too bad that winter's starting. Well, I couldn't be more excited. Now, I don't say that. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to be contrary here. I actually played the game for a long time where I would say, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's too bad. Uh, oh, well. Now I try to find some nice thing about it, like, well, maybe it, it'll be snowy for Christmas. Who doesn't like a white Christmas? Or, hey, it'll be more snowball fights and snowman building for all the kids. Or, hey, well, it's great sledding season. There's always a, an upside. I don't have to compromise my personal preference. But I'm also not trying to go against the grain just for the sake of of going against the grain. Maybe we'll come back to that topic in a little bit. But what I ask you to contemplate, because I don't have any particular answer for, for any real reason maybe for bringing any of this up, other than it's been on my mind, and that it's raining right now, and I love it. There's something about rain in particular. There's something about that overcast gray-blue light that encourages a type of mood that I don't find to be a sad mood. I find it to be a contemplative mood. I, I find it to be a, a mood that encourages inward thought and inward awareness, a, a quieting of the mind, but not a relaxing so much, a focusing. I find it very easy to focus in that state. How do you feel about weather? And Perhaps there's ways to reconsider those feelings so that we can find more enjoyment and more appreciation in all the weather and more subjects for small talk conversations. Why not? It's America, WK, a lot to talk about today. I'll be right back. You're listening to America, WK with Andrew WK on the Blaze Radio Network. This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72-hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? Don't worry. Call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left, and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. 888-411-7440. You're listening to America WK with Andrew WK. Welcome back to America WK. I just realized that today is our 28th episode of this show. And that means I've been doing this for 28 weeks, and I just can't believe it's been that long. 
and then at the same time, as I was thinking, wow, 28 weeks, 28 episodes, I realized that there's, there's, there's people that have been on the radio where they've done thousands and thousands of shows, episodes. I don't even know if they would consider them episodes anymore at that point. I mean, it's just, it's what you do every day. It's life. This is still new enough and fresh enough for me that not only am I keeping count, not only can I easily remember how many it's been or, or how recent the whole show started, but I could easily remember a time when I didn't do this ever and never imagined I would be doing it. This is very far from everyday life for me. This is a new experience and has remained that way. It feels very fresh. And I'm thankful for that. Um, not to say that someone who is used to what they do doesn't have that uh, urgency or vitality anymore. Uh, in fact, I really admire some of the master radio show legends out there. I really admire how fresh they continue to be despite having been on the radio nearly every day for sometimes 20 or even 30 years. I mean, that is a, a true achievement. I can say that when it comes to performing, especially for me with rock music, people uh, early on thought I would grow tired of playing the same songs, doing the same dances on stage, playing a show over and over again despite the obvious differences that come from any performance, no matter how consistent you actually try to be. I even wondered myself, wow, well, here's my new album with this song on it. I'm going to end up playing this song hundreds or thousands of times just over the next few years. Maybe I will grow tired of it. Not only have I not grown tired of any of this, I've only grown to appreciate it more. And I think if there's ever a sign that we can look to, to find out if we're on the right path, to find out if we're doing what we're meant to do, or doing a good job at it, even when it does feel confusing or challenging or discouraging, if you can look inside yourself and consider the entire adventure you've been on so far, and you can say to yourself that you appreciate it love it and are more grateful for this adventure now than you were before, that it's only grown to you, well, that's something good. That really helps to get through those ups and downs that come with any worthwhile adventure. Again, we don't want to climb a mountain in a straight line like we're walking down a highway through the plains Climbing a mountain is supposed to be very intense and an uphill battle. And climbing down can be equally intense. And when you get to that top, we all know there's got to be some part of that achievement that is a letdown. Not that the view from up there wouldn't be incredible. Not that the sense of completion wouldn't be very satisfying. But obviously, most people that climb mountains... They don't just do it once. They go right back and do it again, including mountain climbers that have horrible accidents. Near-death falls have had friends that they've been climbing with, climbing partners who have perished. And yet, 
they keep climbing. They go right back to it as soon as they possibly can. I mean, that is dedication. So if we're able to look inside ourselves and find some version of that dedication, it doesn't need to be life-threatening. It doesn't need to be risky. I mean, everything we do is a risk. Waking up in the morning is a risk. There's a risk that you may be hurt spiritually, emotionally, physically. There's a risk that you may fail. There's a risk that something completely unpredictable, unknowable, and seemingly unmanageable may occur almost at any moment. We realize this. We know this. This is completely overwhelming. Yet, we still keep going. We still keep climbing. That is something to be very thankful for. That spirit, almost an inherent internal need to not give up. Find that in yourself. Locate where it's emerging from as close as you can. We may not know exactly where that comes from, but when we feel, when we can actually sense it, take note of it, and harness it, that'll see us through just about anything. We were talking about the weather right before the last break, and oftentimes I'm making notes, as I've told you, I'm making notes all through the week. What to talk with you about? What has happened? What have I been thinking about? What have I heard you thinking about? What's going on inside that we can bring up and discuss? And a lot of times I don't have, in case you couldn't tell, a big master plan for how an episode is going to go, how the show is going to roll out. I don't even have points to make about a lot of the topics that we bring up. In fact, I think that's what I enjoy is trying to discover the point of these topics. And thinking about this weather topic, I think the point I was trying to make for myself and for you is that we can build our own relationships with these phenomena, with these aspects of life. We don't need to go along with the consensus. And that may seem very obvious, especially the older that you get, that just because most people like sunny weather and warm days, it doesn't mean you have to. That, that is a big part of becoming a mature individual. So it seems obvious with something like weather because it is so visceral, it's so physical, you feel it very immediately. But what else can we look at in life that has a similar quality where we can rest our own individual appreciation and interpretation of that thing? There's many areas, for example, just the path that one takes in life. How often are we encouraged to follow the herd in that regard? to go through these certain steps in a certain order to a certain end. And all the while, you don't question it. You just go along because that's what people do. People like sunny days. People don't like winter. That's what we do. There's no shame in following if you're following because that's what you want to do. But we should be very careful that we're not following along out of fear We're not following along out of lack of thought or awareness that we're not following along for any other reason except that it's our path. And there's times when being part of a group is incredibly important, incredibly valuable. We're always part of some group one way or another. 
We just want to build our own version of life within this group experience and be able to have the confidence and the thoughtfulness to go our own way with it. Everyone's going to experience a rainy day, but that doesn't mean we have to experience that rainy day the same way. It's America WK. I am Andrew WK. Still so much show, so much to talk about on the way. So don't go away. Be right back. Thank you. A party for being alive. This is America WK. With Andrew WK. On the Blaze Radio Network. Well, what is he talking? Pushed away out of population centers? The counteroffensive in Ramadi in Iraq completely sold. What is he talking about? And by the way, what has stopped the Islamic State is not us or our coalition. It is the Kurds, the Shia Iraqi government and Shia militias, the Assad regime, and Turkey. Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. The undisputed king of partying invites you to a no-holds-barred celebration of being alive. This is America WK with Andrew WK. Okay, we're back. America WK, this is Andrew WK. Thinking during the break about this idea of conformity, because that's probably the best way to identify this need to like things the way other people like them, to dislike things the way other people dislike them. And again, there is something about conformity that is healthy, that is enriching, being part of a, a group. What we don't want is to lose sense of ourself in the midst of trying so hard to follow along. Sometimes following along, even if it's against your instinct, can be a healthy challenge. If every part of you says, I don't want to do this, I don't want to be part of what these people are doing, sometimes you go against that. But many times, you don't. And sometimes, it is so important to not follow the crowd that it truly can be life and death. Now, one thing I have noticed, and I have certainly experienced myself, and I'm not proud of this, is the excitement that comes from breaking away from trying to be different or, or thinking of oneself as breaking away, of not conforming. The idea of not going along with the herd in just about every area where almost your whole identity becomes the person who's not following along. The black sheep amidst all the other sheep, the one that superficially wants to be seen as different. And I say superficially because if you look at a herd of sheep and there are all these sheep there with the traditional sort of off-white wool and then you have the black sheep, the black sheep is just another sheep. And the only thing different about it is it has black wool. But it's still part of the herd. It's probably still in the same holding pen Black sheep are still sheep. 
In order to truly break away, you probably have to be a bird with the ability to remove oneself entirely from the flock or, or develop the skill to break through the fence that's holding you into that pen with all the other sheep. But most black sheep, in terms of people, they don't actually want to leave the herd. And that's understandable. You don't actually want to break out of the holding pen because there's a lot of comfort there. There's a lot of security. You just want the feeling as though you're not going along with the plan, that you're different from everybody else, but not so different that you don't want the wonderful free food that the farmer hands out every day and the nice fresh water. You, you, you're very happy to be sheared by the farmer, the caretaker, along with all the rest of the sheep when your wool gets too heavy. The burden is too much. You're very excited to have a nice warm shelter to sleep in. So you're not breaking away from the system. You just look a little different within the system. So what does that really mean? I guess it means that so much of the time, for example, when I thought I was being different, it really wasn't different at all. I was just another person within the same locked down system whose way of being different was appearing different or thinking of oneself as different. We, we, we talked about this when we were talking about individuality. Everybody is different anyway. And actually, most of the efforts that we make as a society are to find common ground, to find similarities, to bond together. It, there's, a, there's a constant wrestling between what makes us different and what makes us the same. We're all human beings, so that makes us the same. Yet each person has a different outlook, a different point of view, so that makes us different. I mean, you literally cannot find two identical minds, much like you can't find two identical snowflakes, yet they're still all snowflakes. There's something very wonderful and very painful about that realization. And I think that what defines us is how we choose to react to that. How we choose to react to the fact that we know we're, all, we're essentially the exact same thing, almost a, a carbon copy of every other person. And yet knowing that despite being so similar, we're as different as anything could possibly be. It is rather confounding. I mean, everything is a one-off in that way. So let's keep that in mind, I guess. It's, it's humbling. It really is humbling. Because when I started thinking that way and realizing that all my efforts to stand out were just like everybody else's efforts to stand out, that what I was doing to be different just didn't mean I was actually abandoning the system. And there are those who really push against the confines of society. And we can see them because they really stand out. I mean, you think you're being different. Then you see someone who really is different, who has really removed themselves in almost every way, shape, and form from what we would call day-to-day -day life. Whether it's not living in a, a typical community, whether it is appearing extremely different or just sort of inhabiting reality in a totally different way. But guess what? They're still trapped in it too. They can't get out of it either. And that must be even more confounding because they've really tried. They really have torn at the edges 
of the world as we know it and tried to find a way out of it. And yet they can't. And in many ways, all those efforts were completely in vain in terms of all the other things that could be done with that energy. Trying so hard to break away from this thing that you just can't break away from. You think you've broken away, and then if you zoom out just a little bit, you see you're still in the same room. You've just moved from one corner to the other. Is it possible to step outside of the room? Does the room even have doors or windows that can be opened? Is, is there even a room to leave? I mean, the one answer maybe would be death. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if at the moment of death, especially if you're thinking, ah, here it is, the big release, the final escape. I'm free. I'm out of this thing. I'm out of the system once and for all. You would realize, nope, I'm still in it. What a, what a waste that effort was. So maybe instead of trying so hard to break away, to, to break out of some perceived kind of bondage, we can realize that it's not really bondage at all. Maybe it's a, a beautiful embrace. It's, a, it's a, a loving hug of life. And if we can interpret it that way, maybe we don't need to put so much energy into trying to defy this embrace just for the sake of showing that we can. It may be futile. We may learn things from our efforts and trying to break away, but it seems like all you learn is that you can't. And all that effort pushing out, pushing away, pushing off, trying to break through walls could all be turned inward where the really important work needs to be done. We're trying so hard to be different than other people when all that we really need to focus on is being different or being better than we used to be. You want to be different? Become a better person. It's America WK. Still so much to talk about today. Thank you. Be right back. This is America WK with your friend and mine, Andrew WK. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. Kevin McCarthy, who was supposed to be the next Speaker of the House until Tea Party conservatives and others of us, no matter what we call ourselves, decided, "Uh uh-uh, this fight ain't going to be fixed. It's going to be a fight. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. Radio show restoring your faith in humanity through the power of positive partying. This is America WK with Andrew WK. All right, we're back. It's America WK. I was thinking about something during the break that I wanted to bring up. It's totally changing gears here. And I wasn't going to go into this, or I thought I wasn't, at least at the start of the show, because I felt like I talked about this before and what's the point, but I, I can't shake it out of my mind. So I'm bringing it up 
I want to see what you think about this. And I want to, to first state as a disclaimer that whenever we're going to go into topics like we're about to here, I, I do not feel that I'm above this topic. I have participated in this behavior myself, much to my dismay, much to my horror. And that behavior is not washing one's hands after one uses the bathroom. Now, we've talked a lot about travel because that's something I'm doing pretty much constantly. Uh, and I love that. I really do. And one of the things that comes with that is you are around a lot of other people. Not that you wouldn't be if you worked at a job every day, but there's something about the transitory space of airports, hotels, being on the move at truck stops, rest stops, restaurants, just always moving around that, uh, I don't know, you notice people. Everyone has a has a, a shared sense of being part of this travel experience, all these strangers together. You're going to the same destination. You're coming from the same place. You're united in that moment. But you really don't know any of these people, much less than, than you would know someone uh, that you worked with or that you saw at home every day, of course. So anyway, I have noticed, and I don't, I don't know if I've always noticed this. I guess I've been noticing it more and more. Now, I don't know if that means it's a trend on the rise or if I'm just looking for it and noticing it. But I have noticed, to my dismay, that many men, now I can only say this about men because I have not been in a woman's washroom. Although that's not true. I have used women's restrooms uh, when I was told that I could because there was no one else using it or there was no other bathroom available. It was, was still an unsettling experience, although a bit fascinating. Uh, the women's restroom was usually much cleaner, I noticed, than the men's restrooms the few times that I used them. Sometimes, for example, at uh, concert venues, when I used uh, the women's washroom after the show was over and the place had cleared out, the men's washroom was completely trashed. And the women's bathroom was actually pretty nice. And I don't mean just w with in terms of litter. I mean, uh, or, or just things strewn around. But it was obvious that the staff, the owners of the establishment, put a great deal of effort into keeping the women's bathroom clean. There wasn't a lot of graffiti everywhere. There weren't stickers everywhere. The mirrors were unbroken. I mean, you're lucky to get a mirror in, s in some of the men's bathrooms I I've been in. You're lucky to get doors on the stalls. You're lucky to get a divider between you and the urinal next to you. Anyway, so... We're talking about here, this is more like airports where I've seen this. Because at, let's say, a concert venue, who knows what kind of state of mind people are in. Plus, it's, it's, it's in a certain crowd that is attracted there. That's what's so great about airports or traveling in general. Because you really do have a massive variety of people. All kinds of people traveling. So you can't just say, oh, well, it's this type of crowd that would go to a rock concert. At, a, at the airport, you have everybody. I mean, everybody who's able to travel. So, in the men's washroom, I have seen, and I've seen this because sometimes you're lined up waiting for a stall or urinal to open. And you're lined up there waiting. And that's where you really can see. You don't have a choice but not to see this. Who is going to wash their hands after using the restroom and who isn't? And I have been completely shocked at the quantity. I would say on the worst days, 
that it appears as though almost the majority, certainly 50%, but sometimes much higher, appear to not wash their hands. Not only just not wash them after using the urinal, but not even wash them after going into the stall, assuming they're going number two. Now, this can seem silly. I, mean, I was about to say, what kind of a world are we living in? I, as I prefaced before I got into this topic, I have done this too. Now, I have noticed, of course, that I've done it more at home, which is no excuse, really. Washing our hands as often as possible without becoming compulsive about it, but, but, you know, as often as we ever would think to do, is, of course, a wonderful thing. It, it, it is known scientifically, factually proven that nothing fights the spread of uh, contagious or infectious disease better than washing one's hands. And I think pretty much everyone knows that. Yet, in the airports, I have seen every type of man, every age, every background, well-dressed, sloppily dressed, I mean, every variety. And I've sort of tested it like okay well clearly this guy he's suit and tie he looks like he's a, a, a university professor surely he just came out of the stall he's going to wash his hands nope just grabbed his bag went right back out unbelievable now maybe he had some wet wipes or something in the stall with him perhaps he had a hand sanitizer that he preferred to use for whatever reason although they've shown that using hand sanitizer is not nearly as effective as just washing your hands with soap and water it's better than nothing but what could it possibly mean now are they about to miss a flight okay yes that's possible always go through and give the benefit of the doubt are they truly afraid for some reason of hand washing it's like some kind of true uh, phobia that's possible but that doesn't explain the percentage the high percentage that I have seen it clearly is just inconsiderate behavior America WK I'll be right back this is America WK hosted by your friend and mine Andrew WK only on the Blaze Radio Network Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. We've become numb to this. Nay, I have not become numb to this at all. Don't think because people get killed that I am numb to it or I don't care about it or or shot. I certainly don't am uh, not numb to it. I absolutely care. And don't think I'm numb when your nonsense gets poured out on us as well. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. It's time to party. This is a no-holds-barred celebration of being alive. America WK with your friend and mine, Andrew WK, on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, we're back on America WK. Before the break there, I've been talking about the shocking number of men that I've seen use public restrooms and not wash their hands. And again, just to make it very clear, I am talking about every type of man. 
from kids to grandparent-looking guys to, uh, you know, very well-dressed businessmen to just sort of average, uh, you know, casual guy. And I'm not just talking about using the urinal and not washing their hands, although there's no reason that that's any better. It's not like, oh, well, I just used the urinal. What's the big deal? That would be a lesser insult, though, than using the stall. Using the stall, pants around the ankles, sitting in there for a long time. And <laughs> this is rather, and I don't want to get too graphic here, but I want to point out that this is not something that, <laughs> that I put a lot of time into until recently. Because when I started noticing it, sometimes you notice something and you think, oh, that's just a fluke. But I'm going to pay attention. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is not a fluke. Maybe there's a pattern here. And then I got a little... Not obsessed with it, but a little fixated on this because I started saying, okay, well, here's a guy. This guy, I just saw him. I saw him before the bathroom. He seemed like a very uh, respectable, honorable person. I've seen him around the airport doing his thing. You know, we're waiting at the same gate for the same flight. He looks like he's about 65 years old. Here he is now. We're both in line for the bathroom. I bet he will wash his hands. Nope, he doesn't. And it's just... It's just mind-blowing to me because I don't understand what it could represent except pure... It's either two things. And I don't want to get too focused on this, but I think, I, think I'm take, I can take this somewhere. It's either two things. It's either complete ignorance and mindlessness, just complete lack of thought about anything which is very hard to believe because it almost takes, you almost couldn't use the bathroom if you were that thoughtless. The sinks are right there. There's plenty of other people using them. And yet you walk by straight out of the stall. Your hand was in extraordinary close proximity to human waste. There's no way that you actually could not have some amount, even if it's just molecular amount of human waste, arguably the most disgusting thing on earth i mean really if you think about it it's probably the number one thing that that any person wants to avoid more than ever and here's someone who just had a very intimate interaction with human waste in a stall by themselves and now they're coming out in a nice sink there nice soap plenty of towels nope i don't want to bother with that i gotta go back I got to go eat or, or I got to go sit at the gate or I, I got to do whatever. Now, again, maybe they have to catch a flight. Maybe they have a, a, an extreme phobia to water or soap or hand washing in general. Or maybe they're just being extremely inconsiderate. Bad manners. And actually, it's, it's more than bad manners because that's the other difference. So maybe they're being thought, thoughtless, which is hard to believe. Maybe somehow they never were taught about washing their hands, which is equally hard to believe. Because that could be bad manners, you know, that's the way their parents raised them. They don't say please and thank you. They, they're not polite. They're not courteous in general. It's a ch it, but it seems more like a conscious choice, which is the most frightening of all. Now, I am not a germaphobe. I'll shake hands with people. I try to wash my hands as much as I can either way. And, and believe me, the more I started paying attention to this phenomenon the more I started washing my hands, not out of fear, but out of complete uh, dismay for all the times that I had left the bathroom without washing my hands, which when I was much younger was probably a higher percentage. But even now at home, 
if I'm the only one even at home at the house, or if I'm at a hotel by myself and there's no one else in the room, I still wash my hands after using the bathroom because I'll think, oh boy, I've been giving all these other people such a hard time in my mind about them not washing their hands. Now I do it. Now that's probably the best thing that we can take away. I have never, (laughs) I've thought about it. I have never yet gone up to someone and said, hey, I noticed you didn't wash your hands after using the stall in the bathroom there, sir. Uh, would you mind explaining why? There's a, there was a time in my life when I may have flirted with that type of encounter. And part of me actually thinks, you know, what would I gain from that? What would anyone gain from that? You know, if someone did that to me, of course, at first, depending what mood I was in, maybe I would be a, a little hurt or offended or somehow defensive or at odds, if someone said it to me now, if they said it in a very straightforward, kind way, one-on-one, not trying to embarrass me, not make a scene, I probably would say, you're absolutely right. And I would probably wash my hands a lot more. But that has yet to occur to me. Or I haven't had the, the nerve to go up to one of these adults, I still feel like everybody else is an adult and I'm a child. I don't know why that is. I think it has something to to do with being around a lot of college students or big kids, older kids. When I was younger, I always just felt like everyone else was older. And now I realize that some of these people are still older than me, but I'm certainly within sort of a peer group or, you know, the idea that I, I don't feel like an adult and I'm not happy about that. It could come down just to having this long hair. It could come down to the clothes I'm wearing. But sometimes I don't feel I have the standing, sort of the, the stature to, an appro- to, to approach what looks to be a 65-year-old businessman and confront him on his lack of hand washing. So the one thing that I can do is make darn well sure that I don't do this, that I'm going to wash my hands. And going back to what it implies, I mean, it's very similar to littering. I was on tour several months ago in a very major city. People walking all over the place, people driving all over the place, a somewhat residential part of the city. And there was a sort of menacing feeling in the air. It wasn't as though the neighborhood was completely trashed, but it wasn't very well kept at the same time. And as my friend and I were sitting at a stoplight, We noticed a car going across the intersection, carefully stopping in the middle of the crosswalk, not seemingly for any particular reason in that location, but just stopping so that the gentleman in the passenger side, well, I shouldn't even say gentleman, the fellow in the passenger side of the seat could open his door and set down a bag of garbage in the middle of the crosswalk, not even in the gutter or on the corner of the street, but just right in the middle of not only the street, but the middle of the crosswalk where other people were going to obviously be walking. And it, all we could do was laugh because it was so over the top. And it was, it, it was different because he didn't throw the trash over his shoulder or out the window. He carefully set his trash down, which, which in one way seemed more considerate, but actually just made it even more deliberate, even more inconsiderate. All of these things point to inconsiderate behavior. And the, 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 the problem, beyond it being inconvenient or dirty or just unpleasant, is that you wonder what these people are, are capable of 
when the so-called human waste hits the fan. If these people now that are behaving this way don't have enough respect for themselves or the people around them for whatever reason, if they're not thinking about it or if they just don't care, what are they going to do if push comes to shove, so to speak? What are they going to do when there's a real situation? All of these little things like washing your hands that may seem kind of stupid or silly or not littering or, you know, not talking on the phone real loud in a public space or, you know, not cutting in front of someone. Yeah, maybe most of these things don't matter that much and you could blow them off and go throughout your day, even if it it happened to you and you were inconvenienced. But it's that's not the problem. The problem is if these people are willing to do that now, what are they willing to do when it's a real situation, when it isn't just a little inconvenience, when they're not just cutting corners? All these little things are tests. They're all practice. They're practice to see if we can develop sort of a level of quality in ourselves and in what we do. And to be thoughtless about that is truly frightening. So rather than confront these people, I do think the best thing is just to do your best to not behave that way. Do our best to be better. It's America WK. America WK with Andrew WK, the undisputed king of partying. On the Blaze Radio Network! There are sadistic and psychopathic killers who are gathering together inside of Syria, inside of Iraq, and in other places around the world, whose greatest hope, whose greatest aspiration, as stated by them, is to hit us so badly that we never really recover. Buck Sexton, weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Now, the king of partying himself, your friend and mine, Andrew WK. Welcome back to America WK. Thank you for listening. I'm Andrew WK. Thank you for listening to that rant about hand washing and littering. I was explaining about how I've hesitated in ever confronting anyone in the midst of their bad manners. I mean, I actually, I have done it a few times. It did not go well. It did not go well at all. I wouldn't expect it to go well. The one thing I could imagine is that maybe despite it not going well, that the person you confront about their non-hand washing, the stranger that you go up to and say, hey, I noticed you littered, that even if they had a bad reaction, that maybe once they were out of that initial embarrassment, maybe they would think twice and improve their behavior. Or maybe they would double down and they'd say, well, you didn't like me not washing my hands? Well, now I'm never going to wash my hands again. Now I'm never going to bathe at all. You don't like me littering? Well, I'm going to throw all my garbage on the street now just to prove a point. You can't tell me what to do. And that's true. We really can't, unfortunately. I mean, I guess they have laws about this kind of thing. I don't suppose they could really enforce a hand-washing law, although I wouldn't put it past people to try something like that. These initiatives are supposed to come from within us. We're supposed to want to be 
considerate. It's very simply, it's not even the, the golden rule. It's what if everybody did this? And that's the thing. A lot of times I think these people know that not everybody is going to litter. So it doesn't matter if they trash the place a little bit. And then again, you know what? It doesn't really matter. Because I've gotten into debates with people about this very kind of topic. And they've said, why are you so worked up about this? Come on, just chill. Just relax. Rest, man. It's You're complaining about these little things. And that is just it. The little things actually start to add up. If everybody threw out their trash on the sidewalk, then we wouldn't have sidewalks very much. And again, it's what these little things represent in the big picture when the same type of behavior is applied to bigger issues or higher stake situations. I do remember very clearly a time when uh, a a boss of mine and I were at a lunch break at a, a job I worked at in New York City years ago. And actually... You don't see people litter that often because there's so many trash cans, which I really think is brilliant. I mean, that's another reason airports are generally pretty clean. Or a lot of places in the United States of America are pretty tidy because there's trash cans everywhere. We make it very easy to throw things away, just like there's a lot of sinks everywhere. It should be very easy to wash one's hands. But despite all these conveniently located trash cans, uh, people I've still seen people litter in New York. Oftentimes it is uh, gum, gum wrappers, or the cellophane tear strip of a brand new pack of cigarettes. Uh, One time when my boss and I were coming back from this lunch break, there was a very, very loudly dressed uh, flamboyant gentleman. I mean, I I really do believe he was wearing a uh, floor-length pink fur coat and i believe it was real fur as well i mean he really stood out in a city where a lot of people already stand out and he was really walking with a lot of attitude and aplomb and uh despite all that fanciness he had no problem throwing his uh basically his food wrapper over his shoulder as he walked i mean really loud gesture almost as though he wanted people to see it was part of the decadence of his personality that he couldn't even be inconvenienced to have walked over the three steps to the trash can right there, the one of 10 trash cans on that block. No exaggeration. So he threw his finished bag of food over his shoulder and it landed uh, right in the middle of the sidewalk. Again, why not put it at least towards the curb? And, uh, It was so over-the-top, such a loud gesture, and done seemingly to draw attention to him. Not that he needed even more attention drawn to him. He couldn't have already had the most garish type of uh, outfit on. I mean, he looked amazing. Really, it was like a movie character. And it seemed that this choreographed uh, flounce of the the food up into the air, over his shoulders, smashed onto the sidewalk, the cup... That was in the bag, spilled out, ice spilled out, crumpled up, napkins and food wrappers spilled out. And my boss was completely shocked and outraged and didn't even hesitate for a second, gathered up all the litter and ran up to the guy and said, oh, excuse me, I think you dropped this. And this guy spun around and really like spun where his coat kind of twirled like a, a big 
ball gown uh, would and 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 waved his finger right in my friend's face and said, I didn't accidentally drop it. I meant to drop it. <laughs> and my boss friend was sort of so shocked that not only this guy, I guess, talked back that readily, but he, it seemed like he already even had that comeback in mind as though he was anticipating someone to, uh, to say that to him. And it did not go well from there. They argued back and forth a little bit, and my friend ended up having no choice at that point but to throw it out himself, or he would have ended up littering. Because once you pick it up, you can't just put it back down again because then you're the one littering against your own, your own beliefs, your own lecture points. Anyway, the funniest part of the story, if there is one, is that that guy, the litterer with the big per, uh, pink fur coat, he ended up working. As a temporary employee at the same job, we were going back to this department store where he was helping install some new displays. We had to see him all the time. So that's another little warning, I suppose, is how often do you confront someone like that or have this awkward interaction, perhaps heated confrontation with a stranger, only to find, lo and behold, that, oh, wow, you wound up sitting right next to them on the airplane or oh, wow, they ended up checking into the same hotel and now you're in the elevator with them, or oh, wow, even worse, turns out that's the person you're working with, or that's the, the son or brother or wife or sister of the person you're working with, or anything else. I mean, I, we've always imagined these things. You have like a, a bad traffic argument with someone, screaming, honking, giving them the finger out the window, only to find out it's your girlfriend's dad or something like that, that you would only just met there's all kinds of reasons to not engage in that behavior it's a challenge because we want to tell people to do the right thing but you just can't or you can tell them but don't expect them to hear you and don't expect that it will make things better it might make things even worse these are all challenges for us the reminders for us to get better not out of you know, a, co a competitive spirit with this other person. Like, oh, I'm going to be, I'm a better person because I don't litter now. No, you're a better person than you once were when you used to litter. And now you're noticing other people doing it and it's reconfirming your choice to not litter because it's better for you. Wow, I never imagined that would go into all this at this length. But uh, it, it, I'll tell you, once you start giving other people even just in your mind, giving other people a hard time about this stuff. It really forces you to, to, to step up your own efforts. I mean, I've, I've, I've picked up crumbs and, you know, food droppings that I've dropped on the sidewalk or at restaurants or in the airport. And, of course, there's people that clean that up. But, you, you know, you, you raise yourself to your own standards before attacking anybody else. That's for sure. It's America WK. Don't go away. A party for being alive. This is America WK. With Andrew WK. On the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. Having prepared candidates for these debates, what you're looking for are half of the things are the things where you can score political points on substantive matters. The other half is... What will 
piss the other person off to the extent that they lose it. Captured forever on video. I think the answer is here is that no one can hurt Hillary tomorrow. Jay Severin. Weekdays 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Radio show restoring your faith in humanity through the power of positive partying. This is America WK with Andrew WK. All right, welcome back to America WK. I'm Andrew WK. Never had any plan for the show to go this way, but it's turned into, well, I suppose if I had to sum it up so far, a combination of discussing the idea of black sheep going against the grain, yet never being able to fully remove oneself from the grain, and then the idea of uh, inconsiderate behavior. And this one, uh, this one, I guess, just stays on my mind a lot because it just bothers me for some reason. I mean, the only thing you can do, and I really mean this, I mean, using, for example, if you're at a hotel and they have a fitness center there, and they have some machines and some free weights. Now, this has been, to me, one of the greatest things that's happened over the past handful of years as the fitness revolution continues to expand is you have things like this. I mean, there was a time not that long ago that I remember, and I've only been traveling heavily for, oh, boy, I don't know, about uh, 18 years or so. There was a time when they didn't have fitness centers in, in, in hotels. I mean, that would have to be a very fancy hotel, and they'd have a spa. And part of the spa was a sauna and, of course, a pool or jacuzzi and a massage. And then maybe they sort of had some kind of fitness thing. But I'm sure you're aware of this, too, that gyms and fitness culture is a very recent phenomenon. I mean, very recent overall. Certainly, it's only exploded since maybe the 1960s, 1970s. And to the level it is at now, that is only over the last decade even, at most the last 20 years. So now you can go to a, you know, a, a little hotel, a very unassuming small chain hotel or even a one-off independent hotel, and they will most likely have some kind of fitness center, some effort, just the same way as places now all have internet, if not Wi-Fi. But I remember even just a few years ago that you'd be very excited if they had Wi-Fi, let alone free Wi-Fi access. And now it's almost just a given that even the most casual or affordable economy, low-priced hotel will have some kind of Wi-Fi, if not a fitness center as well. So my point is, here we are traveling dealing with the stresses and strains and hardships of life on the road and things like fitness centers are a real blessing. It's something I'm very thankful for. I don't take it for granted at all because it would certainly be easier for the hotel and cheaper to not have a fitness center for us to use, to not have any of these little things. So to me, this fitness center is like an oasis uh, I'm someone who, who, whose mind is really improved by exerting physical effort, especially while traveling. There's something very fatiguing about traveling, but then 
you're almost rejuvenated by fatiguing yourself further with exercise. I think it's similar to if you're someone who's hyperactive and has too much energy, they will give you speed. They'll uh, uh, prescribe you some kind of stimulant. Even just caffeine tends to then relax uh, a person with that hyperactive mind. Well, for me, someone who is, uh, I don't know, kind of pushed hard or pushing himself hard a lot of the time, exhausting myself in my choices, you'd think that a lot of rest would be the best way. But rest just makes me tired. Relaxing just makes me tired. If I exert myself on my own terms, that's the beauty of exercise, pushing your body for the sake of pushing it because you decided to, I find it uh, that's the most relaxing of all. And, and relaxing in a way that I feel powerful. I feel uh, rejuvenated. I feel vitality returning to myself. It's very paradoxical. You would really think that pushing all that energy out would further increase your tiredness, would further exhaust you. But pushing all that vitality out somehow increases your vitality. It's like your body compensates for it, which makes some kind of crazy sense. So anyway, I am very thankful for these fitness centers. I used to have to go late at night, take taxis when we were on tour, and travel to, well, at that time, 24-hour gyms, which were extremely hard to find. You almost never found them. So most of the time, I would actually lift luggage Lift luggage. That was my workout, running around the block, lifting luggage. So here now in this hotel, just a little hotel, we have a beautiful fitness center. They probably have some weights. They have some treadmills and ellipticals. They have something there for me to use. And when people staying at that hotel trash this fitness center, don't clean the machines after using them, Keep throw their water cups from the beautiful cooled water machine, there, they throw them on the ground, uh, throw their towels around, just completely disrespect this precious offering that we are so lucky to have. Put the weights back in order. Don't put the weights back at all. Leave everything askew. It hurts my feelings because it's so inconsiderate. And it's not only inconsiderate to the other people using the facility, it's inconsiderate to the gym itself. I feel like the gym might just say, you know what? It's just too much trouble. People obviously don't appreciate this fitness center. They're just trashing it. So let's just shut it down. It'll be easier. We don't have to always clean up every day. So there you go. And then all of a sudden, we don't have the fitness center anymore. And this used to happen in school. We got some nice, special new thing in the classroom. And a few kids would be so inconsiderate one way or another of this new special thing that we would end up losing it. But you know what? All I can do and all you can do is when we go into the fitness center, I clean up the whole fitness center. One, because it's much easier and nicer to use when all the weights are in order, when all the garbage is off the floor. It's actually safer beyond that. But it's my way of showing the hotel that I really appreciate the fitness center. Thank you for having this here. Thank you for you know, dealing with the extra burdens that may come with it. And even when I've been in the fitness center and someone else is using it and making a mess and not treating the machines nicely and messing around and putting everything back wrong or leaving everything all over the floor, I don't say anything because, again, that's not the point of these lessons. The point of these lessons to, is to have them bring out better behavior in ourselves. And, hey, as a bonus, maybe 
maybe someone saw me cleaning up the fitness center and they thought, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't have left this mess. Or, you know, I've definitely learned these lessons from seeing other people behaving at a at a higher level of quality. I mean, I don't even like to use the word higher or lower. My point with this was it could very well make me just angry that someone isn't respecting the equipment. But that's not the point. The point is to use that anger or turn that feeling inward and make sure that I'm living up to my own standards. And when you start living up to your own standards, you just don't care that much about what other people are doing or if they're letting you down on your standards because you realize those are your standards. They have their own. And I'm not there to make anyone else live my way. But you better be sure that you're at least living up to your own way, especially if you're thinking critically of anyone else. Otherwise, you know, I wouldn't deserve to use that fitness center or anything else that's good in life. So let's respect our own systems, our own values, and make sure that we live up to them before we hold anyone else to that task. That's the biggest challenge of all. The challenge of getting other people to live our way is almost impossible. As they say, lead by example. It's America WK. America WK with your host, Andrew WK, on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. So a couple people had the, like the puzzled look on their face. You know, like a lesbian cruise. Someone said, well, is it all lesbians? And she's like, yeah, it's pretty much all lesbians. She goes, although there was a straight couple. There were a lot of people standing around going, did you see? There's some straighties on. So hold a hand. Disgusting. Him in his tacky cargo shorts and her in a reasonably linked sundress. <laughs> the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. This is America WK with Andrew WK, only on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, we're back. Thank you so much for being with me uh, on America WK. I was just thinking of one last story here because it's a pretty good example and includes many of the aspects of the different topics we discussed. I was on an airplane not so long ago where I wound up with the dreaded center seat. Now, it wasn't the worst seat in the world because it was at what they call the bulkhead, meaning there was just a wall in front of us, no other seat to lean back on you. And I will say that people have the right to lean their seat back. I was completely horrified by this recent story in the news. I'm not sure if you heard about some guy, some person leaned their seat back and the person behind them was so infuriated that they leaned their seat back that they reached over and strangled the person i don't think they killed them i don't even know if they injured them anything serious but they were that mad i mean how completely depressing is that talk about the downfall of civilization first of all if everyone has the right or has the ability, the mechanism in their seat to make it lean back, 
then everybody should be able to lean their seat back. That being said, I don't lean my seat back unless I'm sure there's plenty of room behind me. Some situations, for example, if it's a baby or a child, I tend to not lean my seat back. Well, a lot of times I actually don't find it as comfortable. And you know what? When someone leans their seat back on me, I'm not exactly thrilled about it, but it, but it doesn't matter because they have the right to do it. If, they, if, 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 if let's say seats didn't come with the ability to lean back and some guy in front of you jerry-rigged his seat and forced it, pushed and cranked it and smashed it back, yes, well, then you have something to be upset about because he's breaking the rules. Rule breakers are not to be tolerated in situations like that when they're impinging on other people's right. If you don't have the ability to do that same thing, well, then that's very inconsiderate. But if everybody can lean their seat back and some people choose to do so, you can't get mad at them. The only person you can get mad at is whoever designed planes and built seats with the ability to lean back. That's where your anger should be directed towards. So anyway, you you let the people lean their seat back. And you know what? Then you lean yours back. I was on this flight in the middle seat. And there was a gentleman sitting to my left, and he really was a gentleman. And then there was a guy, a fellow, sitting to my right. I've been trying to do this more. My father pointed out that I and perhaps many other people used the word gentleman a little too indiscriminately. For example, he pointed out the other day that they were talking about these uh, escaped prisoners, convicted murderers. And referring to them as, well, the first gentleman escaped at so-and-so time, and the second gentleman also escaped at the same. These are not gentlemen. Let's, we must reclaim the power of that word. A gentleman is a gentleman. Otherwise, it's a person. It's a, a male. It's an individual. It's a guy. It's whoever. It's not a gentleman. So there was a gentleman to my left, a very distinguished, I believe, Italian fellow, who was very kind and understood from the get-go that I, being in this unfortunate middle seat, uh, was afforded a little more of the armrest room. Now, he was in the aisle, so I always think that the person in the aisle has the second worst seat because they're going to be hit by the cart. Now, some people swear by the aisle because they want that easy access to the bathroom or just getting out whenever they please, which uh, is a great uh, aspect of that seat. I like the window seat most of all because I like to lean against the window. And look out the window. So the jet, pardon me, see, there was the guy sitting to my right was very fidgety. And I don't mean in a nervous way, fidgety in the way of someone who doesn't realize their own physical presence and how it interacts with others. So this was already a big red flag that something was up with this guy. And uh, the plane was quite warm. I had my vent on, obviously, over my head. We each have a vent. I love planes that actually have individual vents. Some of the more modern planes, they've removed the vents. And there's just general climate control. That's terrible. It's frightening. Well, it's not frightening. It's just terrible. Anyway, this guy to my right reaches up over me, bypasses his vent, and goes to my vent and turns it off. If I wasn't so outraged, I would have just been completely flabbergasted, almost to the level of respect for the gall, the nerve that he had to turn off my own vent. And I said, pardon me, sir, but that's my vent. He said, I don't want to be breathing all those those germ-ridden air vents. You know, there's all kinds of germs in there. I said, sir, 
That's why I have an immune system. If you don't like the vent, then you leave yours off. But this one is my vent. <laughs> I felt like uh, I felt a little bit like it was in kindergarten or something that we each have a box of crayons. If you want to have uh, my red crayon, why don't you take it from your red box, your box of crayons? If you lost your red crayon, well, that doesn't mean I should give you mine. But you know what? I will. I'll break mine in half. And here, you know, you have a red crayon again. But in this guy's world, it was he was completely in the right because he didn't like vents. So everyone else had to have their vents off. This was inconsiderate. The gentleman, the older Italian fellow to my left, was laughing at all this. And I thought, you know what? That was probably the best reaction of all he was laughing at me he was laughing at the other guy he was laughing at the whole thing and out of all the stuff we talked about today having or maintaining a sense of humor will truly save your life it'll keep you from going insane and that's a good way to finish don't ever lose your sense of humor about the inherent absurdity of life Life is beautiful and absurd. This is America WK. I love you. This is America WK, hosted by your friend and mine, Andrew WK. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.